We are talking this morning about love. We are talking about love. There has never been a subject that has been more written about. There has never been anything that more songs have been written about, more poetry has been written about, more movies that have been made about than love, right? We know that our culture is constantly screaming at us with that, this idea of love. We need to somehow get it. We need to pursue it. We need to have it. We need to enjoy it. So this morning, I thought it would be kind of fun if we uh, use some of those culture references so that we could answer a couple of questions, or at least we can verbalize musically some of the questions that perhaps you might have this morning. So Maestro, go ahead with that first song. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. Get this going right here. Nothing wrong with that. Feel it. Feel it. What is love? I'm going to tell you what love is this morning so that hopefully we won't have any more of that hurt going on. But, uh, but you know, maybe, I, you know maybe, maybe you're here and maybe that's not quite your style. You know, you weren't quite rocking it in the mid-90s or whenever that one was. And maybe what you, the cry of your heart this morning is a little bit more like this one. Yeah, is that bringing back that high school prom for anybody here? Come on. Yes, of course you do. I am going to show you this morning. All right, not by my wisdom, but God's going to show us um, this morning. Uh, thank you, foreigner. That was, that was lovely. Yeah, but maybe one more. Maybe let's go back a little bit even beyond that. And, you know, maybe you strolled in here a little sad, disheartened. Maybe this is the cry of your heart. Oh, beautiful. Is that bringing it back now? Sing it. Come on. That's the best part. But we, we're not going to... That's for another time. We're going to get into the word here. Honestly, we are. But I want to throw that out there because... Man, that stuff encapsulates what our culture is saying, right? Especially that last one. You've lost that loving feeling. Now, here's the thing. When we talk about love, it's one of those unique words that can have such a gamut of meanings that span exact opposites, right? In one sentence, we could talk about, oh, I love a spicy chicken combo from Wendy's. And at the very next moment, we could tell our spouse, Honey, I just, I love you so much. Same word. Spicy chicken, smoking hot wife. Spicy hot wife. Same word. How can that be? We could talk about that you love a certain sports team or you love Starbucks coffee or you love the, uh, you know, you love the Carolina Panthers or the Hurricanes and like that piece. But then when you talk about other things you love, you mention your son or your daughter or your mother or God. But those same exact words, how can we have such a swath, such a wide range of meanings? Well, to bring us up to speed here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're talking about love and in the New Testament, at the New Testament times, there was three different words that were used in the Greek language for love. If you've been coming around church for a long time, you may recognize some of these. This might be review. If you're kind of new to the church scene, this might be new information to you. But the first one that we see is phileo. 
Okay, and that means kind of like a brotherly affection, kind of an affinity type of love that you have with friendships and uh, other, other relationships, phileo. That's where we get the word um, Philadelphia, right? The name of that city means the city of brotherly shove. I mean, I mean uh, love. Have you ever been to Philadelphia? It's not the nicest place in the world. But that's where that word comes from, right? Phileo, philos, del- delphos, which means city, city of love. City of brotherly love. We see that all throughout scripture. The second one that was used in New Testament times is called eros. And that's where we get the word erotic or sensual. You know, that was that kind of love, married kind of love in its proper context. Uh, That actual word is not found anywhere in the New Testament. It's not because God doesn't like eros. He does. He created it. And he loves for us to enjoy it in its proper context. But that's another word for love that was used at that time. That one's not in our New Testament text. But the one that we're talking about today is a word that I'm sure most likely you're familiar with. It's the word agape. That's the love that's being referenced here. It's not the affinity, it's not the relationship, it's not any of that stuff like phileo is. It's not the sensual kind of love that eros is. It's different because agape means a self-sacrificing love. It means it's a love that is more concerned about this other person and what they want and what their needs are rather than what my needs are. And as you talk about that whole span of things that we love, you can really start to dissect them a little bit more, right? Which category some of those go into. Because a lot of those, if you love the New York Yankees or Starbucks coffee or Apple computers or sports team or whatever else it is in your affections and your affinities, you can see that ultimately that's somewhat selfish. I love them because of the enjoyment that they give to me. Contrast that with what we're talking about here in 1 Corinthians 13. It's I love you and I am committed to sacrifice whatever I can for you. Now remember, when we're talking about 1 Corinthians 13, undoubtedly you've been to a wedding ceremony where this is the main text that they read from or that they talk from, right? So some automatically in here, you just kind of turn it off. You're like, eh, 1 Corinthians 13, chapter of love, weddings, whatever, whatever, whatever. Well, remember the context of where we are in this series. Paul's writing this letter to Corinth that is a church that has relationships with each other that are broken and issues rising up in the church. So the context of 1 Corinthians, it was not written about marriage, period. Now, there's absolutely things that we can ascertain from there that can apply to marriage. And it's a great it's a great text to challenge brides and grooms and and everything else about what true love is. But this is not the context that it was written to. It was written to a church that was having problems with each other, with their families, with their culture and within their own community. So what I've tried to do for us today, because it is so complex and there's a lot of stuff to read in here, so many different concepts and and one service is difficult, I've really tried to simplify it into a formula for us here this morning. So if you're taking notes, if you got your Evernote out or whatever you do to kind of remember things, I want to give you a little formula that we're really going to be working towards in this chapter, okay? And the formula is this. Love is a choice, is a choice that combines attitude plus action. Love is a choice 
that combines attitude plus action. So what I mean by love is a choice is that love does not come naturally. Okay, forget all the movies that you've seen and after school specials and Disney specials where love just kind of floats down and it just kind of engulfs and embraces you and just kind of drags you off. Like that's not really the way things work. Love, this kind of love, is a choice. It's something that you actively have to have the volition to say, I am choosing to love because it doesn't come naturally. But then those other two pieces, we really want to break apart here in this chapter, the attitude and the action. I want you to remember double A, attitude and action. Mediocre baseball players, where do they go? Double A team. Battery in your remote control, what size? Are you with me, church? Double A. Both are necessary, the attitude plus the action. What do you mean? Well, let's dive into the text. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Here's what Paul says. So, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, if I understand all the mysteries and I have all the knowledge, but, and if I have all the faith so as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. But if I give away all I have, and if I get, deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. So when you think about the Apostle Paul, he, here he perfectly embodies this idea for us and this definition for us. When you start out with the idea of an attitude, okay? The attitude, that word by itself, is a fascinating word. We get it from the translation of the Latin Vulgate of Scripture, and that word attitude in its original meaning, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, carries along the idea of posturing or getting yourself in a certain pose. And the reason that that word came into being was, you know, when somebody was doing a portrait or like imagine me up here with a giant bowl of fruit and there's a painter right there getting ready to paint it. You had to like get in this pose and stay in this pose for a long period of time. And that's where the word attitude came from. Posturing. And later on, it, was, uh, it came also to mean like fit, like in a ballet, like the posturing that they would have in a ballet. Plie and... Stop, I'll just stop. <laughs> but when you see people ready for that, you go to the Carolina Ballet and you get ready for the Nutcracker and they're doing their thing, they're posturing. That's where the word attitude came from. They're getting ready for something. They're prepared. And so if I were to have a lot of different other postures, like if I were to do this, what am I getting ready to do? Strike out and slow pitch softball is part of our league here, right? Yeah, you understand what that looks like, right? And if I'm like back in the 1800s somewhere and some dude's giving me trouble in the saloon, not that I'd ever go to a saloon, maybe I would, I don't know, but maybe some guy's giving me trouble and so we get out there like the olden way that they used to do, this little move right here, what am I posturing to do? Somebody just said beat, get beat up, didn't they? You know me too well already. <laughs> but the point is, you are preparing yourself and posturing yourself for what the actions are going to be. It starts with the attitude, your posture. 
And the reason that we've got so many unloving and so much of our world is the opposite of what we're about ready to see here in 1 Corinthians 13 is because we don't walk into it with an attitude and a posturing that says, okay, God, how can I show your self-sacrificing love today? Get me ready for it internally before the external comes. And even here in these first couple of verses here, Paul demonstrates that for us, right? He says, if anybody speaks with the tongue of men and angels, if they're super eloquent and they can grab people's attention and motivational, and if they've got lots of knowledge, and if they've got lots of faith, and they've got a whole lot of you know, information, spiritual information internally, but doesn't have love, doesn't act out on that, if it stays in here, it's worth nothing. You think that's a problem in contemporary Christianity? think there's people that have a whole lot of knowledge and maybe they even start out the morning with the internal with the attitude that says okay God let me show love to somebody today I love my neighbor I love my 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 teammates I love the people in my school I love the people in my work and okay God yep internally I've got that attitude down all right I'm postured I'm ready but then they never actually do anything about it scripture says that's not worth anything that's not really love remember what James said all, you can have all the faith you want but without those works it's dead and Paul also goes to the opposite spectrum here. He's like, okay, here's a formula. Oh, what if you just have the actions? Paul says it right here, man. What if, I, what if I give everything I have to the poor? And what if I give up my body in service for God? And it's eventually just, you know, I'm, I'm a martyr and I'm burned and I, I live my life out for God. But if he didn't do it with love, if he just did the actions on his own, that is also worth nothing. Do you think it's possible in a church context where there's people that are actually externally doing the right things, performing the right actions, but they don't have the right attitude of love? So let's continue on here in scripture and find out exactly what God means. Let's just go through it. So here's, here's the embody of it, embodiment of it. Here's what it looks like. It says in verse four, so here's what love is. Here's what agape is. Love is patient, and kind. Let's just stop right there. The word patient there, one definition says this. It's enduring others' negative characteristics. Is there anybody in this room that maybe you have trouble being patient with? Can you just point them out right now? I'm just kidding. Don't do that. And by the way, as I was weeding through this message in this text this week, I mean, how, how amazing, how providential is it for us that this whole idea of agape love, not marriage love, but agape love in relationships and families and contexts like it was in Corinth is coming on December 7th, 2014, and the very season where there can be the most family problems all year round. When you think about family coming into town and you think about Christmas dinner and you think about Thanksgiving and you think about sisters and brothers and parents and all the brokenness and yet everybody's back together again. You know, more alcohol is sold the night before Thanksgiving Day and this whole season. Why is that? A whole lot of people are wanting to drown their sorrows and just need a crutch to even get through these people that they can't stand. But what, is, what, is, what does this mean? Well, here's what love is. Love is patient. Love 
is kind. And this word kind, it's the only time it's used in the whole entire New Testament like this as a, as a noun. The verb to be kind, that's used a lot of other places, but in this, in this way, it's only used one time. It says, it does not envy, it does not boast. Can you see how the internal, the attitude part of it starting in here, that's what's gonna determine your action? It doesn't envy. Envy starts in the heart and in the mind. And it says, you've got something that I want. That's not agape love. You look all throughout the Old Testament and you see what a continual pattern and problem envy is. Think about Adam and Eve, you know. The enemy said, you know, did God really say that you're gonna die? He just doesn't want you to be as smart as he is and have that knowledge. Yeah, you're right. I want what God has. And so that's why she disobeyed and took the fruit. Think about the very next generation. The apple isn't far, far from the tree, right? No pun intended. But Cain and Abel, they're, they're two sons. Abel had a great sacrifice. Cain didn't obey God. He was jealous of his brother and he killed him. Envy. You could trace that all throughout the narrative of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. It is not arrogant or it is not rude. Do you know somebody who kind of carries himself just with the unspoken attitude that I'm better than you? If you do, point to that person right now. I'm just kidding. Right? But we all know people like that. Maybe sometimes ourselves we're guilty of that. Whatever your desires are, whatever your agenda is, mine's going to trump it. Whatever your story is, mine's going to top it. Arrogance. One-upmanship. It's a problem, and that's not the way love is. It does not insist on its own way, Scripture says. It is not irritable or resentful. The NIV, I love their translation of this and other versions that says love does not keep a record of wrongs. It's not full of resentment. And again, you think about so many of our broken families and you think about how easy it is when that certain family member or that parent comes in or that child comes back into town and they start, you know, just going off and you're just thinking in your mind, you're like, oh yeah, well, if you hadn't done that and you remember when you said this or what about years ago when you did that? And you kind of have your checklist right there. That's what Paul's saying. He's using a visual of kind of like a ledger back in that time where they would write down and keep an account of all the things that were, that were sold or were bought or whatever. It's a ledger. It's a bookkeeping measure. And so many of us do that in our own lives. And Scripture's saying agape love does not keep a record of wrongs. You think about that beautiful passage in Colossians chapter two or chapter three where it talks about you took that, you took that tablet of all the record of all of the sins and you nailed it on the cross with your son Jesus forever to be gone. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And then in verse seven, it throws out four active concepts that are so insightful, four active concepts. It says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And it's really interesting, the construction, because the first and the last are kind of like bookends. They're very similar in what Paul's trying to lay down. 
Love bears all things. Love endures all things. And in between the other two, you also have very two similar concepts, which we'll talk about those two first. It says love believes all things. Now, what does that mean? That love is gullible? You ever read that and you're like, well, what does that mean? Love just believes everything that everybody says? No. It means in the grander scheme of things. Agape love says, I believe that there's a God who's gonna come in and rescue your situation no matter how dire it may be. We don't see it right now, but I believe according to Romans chapter eight, verse 28, like we just sang about in one of the other songs, that God is gonna come out, come in, and he's gonna, he's gonna work things together. He's got a deeper plan. We can't see it, but I believe that it's true. That's what love does for one another. Love hopes all things. Same concept. It's optimistic. It's looking ahead in the future. It's realistic. Like, I know this is hard, but, but I, I just I have a hope that God is bigger than this. And then those first and those last things. What unbelievable words. Love bears all things. When you think about bearing something, the idea is that you're, you're picking something up and you're bearing the brunt and the weight of it. I can remember this last summer, we were, as a staff, were working on a Habitat for Humanity project at a neighborhood in Apex. We were building a house for, for a family. And we were out on the street, and on the street, we laid out all the boards, and we you know, built these giant sections of wall. And they were huge. And they were two by fours, and there was you know, particle board on either side of it. So they were big, and they were heavy. And we got to the point where we had to take these walls off the, you know, off the street, and we had to carry them down this giant ravine, go you know, around this little bend, down this trail, to where the actual work site was. And so a few of us got up under it, and we started lifting this thing, and it was unbelievably heavy, and we started to struggle with this thing. And there were some other people that had just finished their lunch, and they saw us. They came over, and the more hands worked better, and the more people that you got under that, it was lighter, and that's how you were able to navigate and get that thing where it needed to be. Bearing all things. There's no surprise in our church among this body of people there's a lot of situations where people are under the weight of the world. And what love says is, I'm not going to let you bear that alone. I'm going to come alongside and we're going to get some more hands on that. We're going to get some more strength under it because by ourselves, none of us are strong enough. And that's how God made our community. And that's what agape love means. Endures all things, bears all things, endures all things. Same idea. Perseverance. We can't do it alone. I'll tell you what, one of, the, one of the things that's impressed me so much about this church, having just been here three months, is the culture that has been created that God has established here of people caring for one another. People bearing up with one another. People enduring together. Brian and I and Matt, we hear these stories all the time and they're so honestly heartwarming when you think about different families different situations of tragedy and difficulty and the way life groups come together and almost rise up in reaction to that and says you're not going to take this one from us when the enemy's attacking when the enemy's cutting down it's like they come alongside they're like nope you can't have her you can't have him we're going to be right there by their side bearing them up and carrying their burdens 
We've heard stories about families that are under hard times and they start out, you know, a kind of a meal schedule and they eventually have to say, you know what, we, we have too much. Could you stop with all the love, please? We've got food going to waste because the response has been so huge. There's a family that just lost somebody very close to them and their life group decided, you know how we can minister to them? Let's go ahead and break into their house and let's set up all of their Christmas lights for them. That's the last thing they're thinking about at this time. And so they're out there in the pouring rain, in the freezing cold, stringing up lights for this family of these brothers and sisters that they love because they want to show them what agape means. So what does this look like for us? I love the end of this, and honestly, some of this stuff didn't really come clear to me until really in the last couple of years, what the, end of this, what the end of this chapter is all about, what the big crescendo is all about. Honestly, I went to a school where they taught a totally different teaching about, about what this ending means. But let's check it out, all right? So, okay, fine, that's great, Paul. These are all hard things, but what, what example do we have, all right? Well, let's read it, verse eight. Love never ends, or love never fails. As for prophecies, they're gonna pass away. As for tongues, they're going to cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. And that's all a reference to what was in chapter 12, where Paul was talking about all the different gifts that different people had. And Paul's saying all those different gifts that you've been equipped with, they're eventually going to stop. They're not the most important thing. Check this out in verse 9. Paul says, for we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes the partial will pass away. Paul says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then we're gonna see face to face. So we've got this mystery here, this thing that's called the perfect and this perfect apparently has an opportunity where the perfect is going to come. We've been living and catching glimpses, catching shadows, catching little, little tiny snapshots and pictures of what love should be. But somehow love has got a name and the name is perfect. Perfect is the name and the perfect will come. And we're going to get a chance to look at this perfect being face to face. And his name is not only perfect, but his name is Jesus. Jesus embodied what agape love should be for every one of us. Jesus had the attitude and Jesus followed up with his action. He came in a pose. He was ready to do what he needed to do and he did it. In the book of Philippians chapter 2, listen to this in this context. Here's what it says. It says this. Have this mind in you which is also in Christ Jesus. Attitude. Have this thing in your mind. Have it ready. It says in verse 6, Though who is, he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to. But instead, he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. For Jesus... Agape love was a choice that involved a mindset and that resulted in action. Death on a cross. 
And as we talk about love, I just want that to settle over us here this morning. And what does that mean for you this morning? What does that concept of agape, self-sacrificing love mean for you? Maybe for some of it, it means your, your heart and your mind, you need to start there with that check. You've been doing the actions, you've been serving, you've been tithing, you've been doing all this other stuff over here, but internally, there has not been that posture or that attitude of love. It's just been, it's, it's just been um, motions. And maybe for some of you, you, got, you can talk a good game, you've got a whole lot of knowledge so that posture's there and that posture's ready, but you never actually do anything. So what does that look like for you and your family? What does that look like for you and your circle of friends? What does that look like for you in your workplace? What does that look like for you in your neighborhood, in your apartment complex, in your dorm room? I'll tell you what, man, honestly, I was reading through all this stuff and just got so convicted this week. I'm thinking about where we are. We live on an address called Purple Glory Drive. It's about the worst address that somebody could have, I think. But we like our house. But that's where God led us. That's where God put us. I'll tell you what, in 150 yards from our house, we got two separate families that have special needs children. We got another family that has a son in active military duties right now overseas. We have another woman who's older in age and she's widowed and lives all alone. I can have the attitude of love. Yep, I'm pastoral. Yep, I'm the professional Christian guy. I'm here to make a difference. I'm here to shine a light. I love my neighbors. But what do the actions say? What are you going to do about it? It's got to be a combination of the two. Can we practice agape love here at this place? Can we just ask God to continue to pour that down upon us so that we can show that to each other and more importantly, so we can show that to the world? Not just about marriage. It's about life. Let's be those kind of people.